0: But yeah, dinner somewhere. You have time
1: for drinks after? Or is that too tight? Uh,
0: I no might pressure. be able to. No might be able to
2: go for one.
1: We're we're, um, we're going right over here. Okay. So like well, yeah, so We're three. going for drinks. Wheel Tapper.
2: Ooh, Wheel Tapper.
1: Remember that place?
2: Yeah, we always used to see Einhorn over there.
1: Really? I think I saw him one time wearing like a very like pimp looking fur coat. <laughs> Wait, am I supposed to be like this? What's happening? Are we crossed? No, give me my headphones. You did that. I was like, why am I? I not, just put the ones, ones on I that you had on. So?
2: I just put the, oh, and they're all hot now and shit. My Come ears on, are man. very steamy. My guy, why is your head so hot? <laughs> <laughs> this g- a lot of
1: activity going on. Hello, hello, oh, that's better. Um, oh, okay. John, throw me those Altoids. They used to call me hot ears in middle school. God, do your thing, do you think? Thank you. So, uh, we're going to give away, if you cool with you, a one-year subscription to you. Yeah. We'll like, uh, we'll let you know who the winner is. Cool. Did you listen to Matt Bellany? Do you listen to his podcast?
0: Yeah, a decent amount. He
1: was on with Tom Rogers the other day talking about cable and yeah. he's yeah, like, one more everybody's out. losing. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. streaming wars, there's no winners. Yeah. Not, in, the, in, not, ca- in cable, there's no winners. That sounds distorted. <laughs> like, everybody's losing.
2: Yeah.
1: Yo. Yeah. You know what? It's enough. Kill that thing.
2: F*** that. Never gonna happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very messy right now, for sure.
1: Yeah, but
2: Disney got, got a really good response from their streaming numbers. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many tens yeah, of billions of market cap it added back.
0: But how many that percentage
1: works, of, of Disney customers are actually paying? Uh, St- I,
0: mean, I mean, the India subs are 58 million now out of the, what was it, 160?
1: Jonathan, you but isn't a lot of it subsidized by, like, get a AT&T subscription or not really? Not a ton. No? Not a ton. No.
3: Anyway.
1: I'm, going, I'm planning my first Disney trip as a as a grown person.
3: Sit
1: which
0: one, Orlando or Orlando? Nice. I can't
1: wait. Yeah. I used to go to Disney as a kid all the time.
0: Uh-huh. I think oh, I might, this I, is the first time you've taken the boys. Yeah,
1: I think I might cry. Like I think the nostalgia might just bring Disney. me to my knees. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, so we're planning it now, and it's going to be like at least ten thousand dollars. Oh yeah,
2: it's so expensive. Yeah. It's crazy. Not to brag.
1: Well, no, I'm definitely not to brag. <laughs> well, <laughs> what? I'm the only person going to Disney? No,
2: it's, it's packed. A lot of people. Where are you staying? Can I help you with this trip? No,
1: we advice. No, we have we have a handler. Uh, we're so staying. at a tour guide. We're, we're we're staying at the Swan or Dolphin.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah, you're spending. You're spending. Yeah. You, ha- you have uh, the tour guide, the fast pass person.
1: Oh, Robin's doing it. I assume. But so. But does she?
2: I don't know. You have to have this. Yeah. You cannot passes. spend all this money, do this trip, and then wait in lines. Cannot do it. You yeah, have you to Trust get me. Genie on this. Plus,
0: you got to get everything.
2: You have to spend. get. The, you have to get the people with the fast passes that run back and forth. They get on the line for you while you're on one ride. They get on the next line. So when you're done with that ride, you meet them there.
1: Do people look at you funny?
2: I mean, yeah, it's disgusting. But I'm just being honest with you. I did this trip. I did this trip in 2014, and I did I'm going to wear
1: a fake mustache and sunglasses so nobody knows it's no, me. everyone's
2: doing it. It's it's gross, everyone's but this is doing everyone's doing it. It's just it is what it is. Um, it's 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 like Lori Lachlan. Yeah, for Disneyland. Posing her kids as uh, crew rowers to get them into USC. It's the same, same principle. Um, no, but you know what? If you're spending all this money to take the trip. No, right, dude, you don't have to convince me. I'm in. You got to do it right. <laughs> I'm in. You don't need it for Epcot. You could like do that straight up. For the Magic Kingdom, like don't play games. Go, go there on a mission. And you really have to know like what you're doing first. Like right to Space Mountain. Just literally right to Space Mountain and then like, Droppo,
1: like you know i feel like I, I remember <laughs> space mountain there's nothing <laughs> special about it oh they, they changed the branding of do they still the have log flume th- they still have thunder mountain
0: yes they still have thunder mountain they just changed splash mountain i think because it was it was super racist. racist in some way Big time racist. i don't know i don't know movie Wait, what movie it was but it was racist <laughs> there was a
2: movie disney did in the 60s called song of the south there you go and it was like there was like a lot of slave oh, stuff it's okay. really like, so it's, it did not age well so they branded the ride based on the characters from the, that movie, uh, Princess and the Frog, I think, right? Well, now they changed it, but I'm saying the original Oh, well, well. branding of Splash Mountain was utilizing characters from Song of the South, and the whole movie's unacceptable. So So
1: now they have Hollywood Studios. That's an. I think that's an, Is that a new thing? Cuz when my wife said, "Do you want to go to Hollywood Studios?" I was like, "You mean Universal Studios?" They They've should, had it for a know. while now, but they I, I don't know yeah, if they Yeah, we Hollywood did that. Studios
2: anymore if they change the name. Do Epcot's my favorite. I can't wait. Epcot I is Epcot fun. Epcot is just so best. so awesome. The right? last time
1: I went there, they had like the, the innovation something or the other. Yeah, they have all that yeah. still
2: there. Epcot's two parks in one. Half of it is corporate-sponsored, um, futuristic-themed or science-themed rides, like there's the dinosaur one. I think it used to be Exxon. I don't know if they're still sponsoring it, but like, it's like educational. And then the other half of the park is country pavilions. So. I did this trip with Sprinkles when we were, like, 21, and we did that half of Epcot. We had a drink in every country, <laughs> and, like, Mexico was last, and it was tequila shots. And this is after, like, sake in Japan, mm-hmm. beer in Germany. Like, we literally – we I think we should have been thrown out of the park. <laughs> by this. Anyway, we didn't do that with the kids. Um, yeah, people get crazy well, in that that's part of Epcot. People get fired up.
1: The, okay, with the white, I like it. All right, here we go.
2: Oh wow! We're oh, going. Yeah, Alex. We're going to podcast. We're going. Wow.
1: This is so exciting. It's been a while. Yes,
2: I still have. Uh, <laughs> I still have static. I still have static. What do you think that's about? Do I have something open that shouldn't be open?
1: Alex, you don't short stocks, do you? No. Never. No. I, uh, yeah, I, I
0: shorted. uh I shorted one saw stock it. in my life. It was Salesforce. Like. Seven, eight years ago.
1: Okay.
0: It went down like 5% and yeah. I covered, thank God. It and it's probably, it got good. it's probably 5x yeah, it son.
1: I shorted Amazon in 2011. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you still short or no? <laughs> <Did> you cover?
0: If <laughs> 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 you're still short, might not be able, be able right, to right, afford Full disclosure,
1: <laughs> I'm still short.
2: No, 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 no. <laughs> and I'm sweaty.
0: Yeah. One experience was enough for me.
2: Honestly, <laughs> the AC's got to go on, Duncan. I know you hate it. I had no choice.
1: Duncan, put your foot it's down. Not, not just, ju- just, say no. That's not what we it's do not here. Not
2: livable. <laughs> He's so upset. This is <laughs> this is a lot more work now.
1: No, you All know right. what? We need there needs to be you need to there needs to be somebody with a fan on your neck. No,
2: we just bad. Get you one of those we oh. up, <laughs> All right. So, do you want to do that? Do we have time, or is that like?
1: like you really need the fucking f- buttons no. nonsense. No,
2: <laughs> Duncan's gonna put them in for me. I can, yeah, I can put them in. All right, we got AC
0: on. When you yeah, do CNBC, six, where do you have to uh, okay. where do you have to go to to do CNBC from here?
2: I, I do it from here. Oh, really? And then sometimes oh, nice. I go to New Jersey. That's cool. Uh, they're in Englewood Cliffs. They're right over the GW. Huh? So I've been going like once a week. I love going live. Yeah, oh, that's cool. You can do it from here, dude. TV's hard with when you're just staring at a camera lens and you're yeah, not getting right. like feedback <laughs> from the people that you're on yeah. with. You can't see their face. And they can't see yours. Is there a delay from when you talk to... Well, uh, slightly, but it's just, it's just, it's hard. It's not as good. Yeah, I bet. All right.
0: What episode is this?
1: Welcome to
2: the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions, and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, I'm Josh Brown. Did you know... Did you see this Keith Haring? Yeah, Keith Haring Haring is the real thing. Wait, that's for sale on Masterworks? All right. Did you know that you could buy fractional shares of a well-known work of art and then when that art appreciates and gets sold, you actually can get a piece of the
1: profit. Have it's you heard true. of Pablo Picasso? This I've, piece, $17 million. I I can't afford what's that. What's that piece called? This particular Pablo is the home a la pipe.
2: Mm, I already have that. <laughs> is it a la pipe? Come on. <laughs> what? It's not a la pipe. A la pipe. <laughs> it might be a la pipe. I don't know. That's not what's important. What's important is that Masterworks enables you to add a new asset class to your portfolio. You can own fractional shares of well-known art by well-known artists, and it's a pretty cool way to diversify.
1: Go to masterworks.com compound to learn more. And see the important so dis- disclaimer at masterworks.io disclaimer.
2: Oh my God. We're 57?
1: We're almost getting to nice territory.
2: All right, Duncan. That's it. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Maybe a little Good round job, of applause. Wow. Oh. Yo, Good shout God. out to my compound day ones. If you've been listening to the show, we are now on, what did we say, 56? Seven. Seven. 57? 50, that's a lot of shows. What do you think? Start packing it in? Have we said everything that we want to say? No? We'll do another. All right, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. Last one. Uh, Alex Morris is here. Alex is the founder and author of The Science of Hitting, which is an investment research based newsletter. Previous to The Science of Hitting, Alex spent 10 years as a buy side analyst and was a contributing author for Guru Focus. You have an MBA from the University of Florida. Yes? Factual. All yes. right. <laughs> and you're a CFA charter holder. Yes. When did you get your CFA?
0: Oh gosh, six years ago I think.
2: And you're a level three, right? Yeah. Not to yeah. brag, Thankfully. level four. Nice. So, <laughs> a level four CFA can levitate. I don't know. I don't know if you know. Do you still have to pay the annual fee, or no? No. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm grandfathered in. It's All even right. Better than levitating. First thing I wanted to ask you, I'm sure you've explained this elsewhere. Where does the name "the science of hitting" come from? Sure. So Warren
0: Buffer's, Buffett's referenced a couple times throughout his career
2: this Ted Williams
0: book, "Science of Hitting," where mm. Ted Williams broke down the strike zone in different cells and basically said. Pitch in the sweet spot. I can bat 400. Bottom outside corner. I can only bat 230. So I'm either a Hall of Famer or maybe not even on a major league team. And he said, difference between investing in baseball is there's no called strikes. I can just stand here all day and wait for that fat pitch. So that's right. Where, that's Ted, where
2: I came Ted's going to have to swing at some point. Eventually, and Warren Buffett to. can go two years without buying anything. Yes. And then this year, he went crazy. Going crazy. This on year, oxy he's right buying now. everything he can.
1: Yeah. He just went over 20, I think, yeah. right?
2: I think so. Over 20, what? Billion?
1: Percent of, per- no, percent of oxy.
2: Yeah, Occidental Petroleum yeah. keeps buying. And he's like and he's been buying uh Japanese stuff in recent years and he's yeah. he seems to be uh seems to be enjoying himself again. Uh I have a I have a theory about why he sold the airline stocks. Uh-huh. You want to hear it? Yes, I think there's a good theory. I do. I th- most of my theories are ridiculous. <laughs> this one I'm I'm 99% sure I'm right. So, one of the big criticisms of Warren Buffett in recent years is he doesn't practice what he preaches and he's not greedy when others are fearful. And at the bottom of the COVID panic, he blew out tops. St- he had the biggest stake in five airlines mm-hmm. and he blew them all out at once. Yep. And it's very easy to look at that and be like, oh, Buffett got scared or whatever. But actually I think what happened was he was acutely aware of the negotiations that were going on between Congress and the airlines to keep them in business. Mm -hmm. And there was no way they could have shoveled tens of billions of dollars at these companies if the world's richest man was the largest shareholder. Like the optics of bailing Buffett out were like a non-starter. So he's actually a hero. So he's actually a hero (laughs) and never once, to my knowledge, took any credit for that. But if he hadn't sold, I really don't think those airlines were bailoutable, they might have all had to have gone through chapter 11.
0: How do, yeah. you, how do
1: you grade this theory? Zero to I ten. Think
2: it, I think it could be legit. Um,
0: I mean, the other thing to remember, I, I think about Airbnb, where Brian Chesky says, CEO, says their business went from full speed to down 80% in well, six, the airlines six weeks. Were sh-
2: the airlines were told by the government, you are out of, the, right. are out of <laughs> business for the foreseeable future. Yeah, It wasn't like they voluntarily were like, let's stop flying. Like That was it. It was yeah. done. So they, something had to have happened, but it would have been very uh, it would have been very difficult optically to give them money. Yeah. With Buffett being the biggest shareholder. For sure. I and mean, even, he didn't have the money to replace what they gave them. So
0: And again, the severity of the slowdown, like I think booking holdings, their their cancellations were larger than their gross bookings in April of twenty twenty one. So they had negative they, or twenty twenty, sorry. So they had negative revenues for that month. So, I Negative mean, revenues. I mean, so <laughs> this many. This is a company that did $100 billion of business the year before. Do you think so, that? Do you think that's, it was a crazy slowdown.
2: Do you think that so many of the things from that time, which admittedly is like two years ago, but we've like forgotten so many incredible yeah. things that took place just because so many incredible once in a lifetime things happened all at once? Yeah. And there will be a bigger appreciation for what went on like five years from now.
0: Yeah. I, I, I went back and looked. I wrote an article. And at some point in March, 2020, and the article started, market was down 6% today. It's down 30% in the past six weeks or whatever it was. Yeah. And I just completely forgot in my mind, like how severe and crazy that was so quickly. When yeah. did you and start it, your Substack? I started it in April, 2021. So I wrote that other article still on Guru Focus.
1: All right. Before we get too far into the show, I want to mention that Alex is generous enough that we're going to raffle off for listeners who... Hit our link. We'll, we'll put links in the show notes. Uh, a one-year subscription to the Science of Hitting, yep. which I subscribe to, and for those unaware, it is a site that does deep dives onto mostly blue chip companies that you know—Facebook, uh, Meta, Airbnb, the cable companies, Disney, all that sort of stuff—and it is phenomenal. I read everything that you write, so uh, this will be a way for for an audience to. So, how does that,
2: Mike? How does that work? How do we how do we award that to someone?
1: Well. You will hit a link that we that we uh, put out, and we will randomly generate like a raffle generator. Where are we putting this link out? My my show notes, your show notes, the blogs, YouTube, right. everywhere. Okay, so
2: you'll see it in the show notes. You of, can't miss it. You'll have it. You'll have a shot at it if you're listening to this for the first time, like on Friday, Saturday, something You'll have a shot at it. So we need
1: your email. We'll, we'll, it'll be easy to find.
2: Give us your email, and one lucky person is. What what if we already have people's email? Doesn't matter. Starts over. Yes, yeah, they, also, they, can, yes.
3: they can submit again, yeah.
2: All right, so we're going to give away a year of Alex's site, and Alex's site is great, and uh, we're happy to do that for you guys. And if you don't win the year, you should still subscribe anyway because it's. Uh, he's, he's – how often are you writing? Every Monday and every other Thursday. So you keep to that discipline. Yeah. Are you, same kind of post on Monday and Thursday or – It just depends. So during earnings
0: season, I'm updating ideas that I've written up previously or names okay. that I own. Um, I should have also said – I disclose everything that I own, percentage weightings and all the names. So anytime I make any changes in the portfolio, I tell people what I'm doing and why. So those can be periodic posts. And then I do some you know deep dives on new companies like I've done Nike recently, Chipotle, uh, a handful of others. Dude,
2: there are so many great Substack writers yes, that are. I keep up with on a weekly <laughs> basis. There is so much content coming out. Yeah. Like good, like very high quality content. For sure. For sure. Um, I feel like a lot of them were seeking alpha and then said- why don't I just get myself paid to do the same thing that I'm already doing? Yeah, do you find a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to
0: see the the staying power for a lot of these ideas. As Mike and I were talking before we we hopped on, you know, it's it's hard to do, especially if you don't have. It's not a full time job, which for me it's full time job. But if, if you right. don't have the time to consistently put out content, it's just hard to keep people's attention. Partly because there's so much good competition.
2: Yeah, I mean, right. It's it's not like. It's not like newsletter 1.0 where, yeah. where there, were no, there was no barrier to entry. For sure. The barrier to entry now is if you don't get above a certain level of subs, it's not a business for you.
0: Yeah. Right? I mean, that's partly why I went with the complete transparency on what I own and position weighting. So I was like, I got to find some way to try to take this up a notch and differentiate it, which I've found has been pretty helpful in terms of just establishing trust with readers more than
2: anything else. All right. Well, you're doing it. You're doing the thing. So. I
1: am a fan. All right. Let's start with, uh, with uh, maybe some some uh Andy Kessler did a a post in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was an opinion piece. And the title was a bit provocative. The headline was like, rest in peace, big bull market. I don't want to talk about that. The part that that he wrote about that I thought was very interesting and noteworthy is what will kick off the next bull market. And he said, the next bull will be fueled by earnings growth from whatever drives productivity next. Forget last cycle's winners, find new ones. Next generation machine intelligence, geothermal energy, gene therapy, so anyway, I won't with the whole quote, but but I thought that was interesting in light of the fact that right now, today, literally.
2: Wait, don't leave off this last part. What is it? So he names all these next generation technologies and then he says something completely out of left field that starts out expensive is dismissed by skeptics and then gets relentlessly cheaper over decades, creating wealth for society. So that's a pattern that we've about- seen –
1: 10 times. Sounds like he's talking about CryptoPunks. I was
2: going to say, it's <laughs> got to be NFTs.
1: But so today, um, Apple became the single largest component of, of any S&P 500 company going back to 1980. Oh. John, can we throw this chart up? So this chart that for, the, for the listeners is, are the Fang stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and Facebook divided by S&P, S&P 500. Oh, that's interesting. So we're showing yeah. relative strength of these companies. And the only one and there's really not even anything close that has had all time highs relative to the rest of the market is King Apple.
2: It's quit. it's Jeez. it's um un- it's unbelievable. Yeah.
1: I mean, for a big
2: company, for a company this size to still be doing what it's doing and executing at this level. Yeah. I think a lot of this story is just about lock in. Yeah. And nobody having come along and come up with a better ecosystem. Yeah. So everything I own is Apple.
0: They I mean, they've continued to build out the install base and then they've done, to your point, unlock and they've done a fantastic job on services and they just keep hitting that over and over and over again and if you listen to companies like match group which owns Tinder and other apps talk about this they think regulation's coming on app store and we'll see what that means if it happens i'm still not totally convinced that they're 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 talking their book when they say it's going to come because every
2: one of these companies what they all have in common is they're kicking up a third of the money they make on their app to apple yeah it's like that's just how it is yeah and there's uh, been small
0: tweaks but nothing really that meaningful. Well, didn't
2: they beat uh, Epic Games in court? Yeah. They
0: did, right? Yeah. and that the drum beat around that time was as loud as it's it's not like that now. So If they would have lost,
2: <laughs> if they would have lost to Fortnite in court. So uh, so basically Epic Games makes Fortnite which has a huge player ecosystem, my son and other and others spending money to buy goods and costumes and what, whatever it's called, uh, skins uh, on the game. And I think Epic was trying to come up with a workaround where people could pay them directly and not have that revenue go through iOS and hit Apple. Yeah. And Apple either kicked them off or threatened to kick them off, and it ended up in court. Violated the rules. And Apple won. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, that feels like a precedent that would be tough for somebody else to challenge on different grounds. Yeah. I mean, Match recently, that's a name I know better they
0: they recently sued Google for po- some of the policies that are supposed to be changing here at the end of 22, I believe, or at some point in 23. Right. And I thought very interestingly, Google turned around and countersued them. And they wrote a blog piece where they came at them very directly, which I guess you can read it in two different ways. It's either kind of a defensive way of them doing that or them being comfortable in the position to basically say, we're going to do what we want to do. It's our app store. It's our rules. Um, yeah. I think it's probably more the latter. But, but I was they- surprised to see them publicly put out something kind of fairly aggressive
2: in terms of their commentary. The thing with this that makes it so t- tough from an antitrust perspective is that it's hard to prove that the consumer is being harmed. Yeah. Like if I'm buying things, if I'm spending money on the match uh app or or on Tinder or I'm spending money on Fortnite or wherever else, I really don't give a shit yeah. what what Apple's take rate is. How does that affect me unless some company comes along and can make the case that the product or service would be cheaper if it weren't for, and I'm sure that can be done. I don't think that anyone has been able to do it yet.
0: No. Again, I think the drumbeat around this was as loud as it could be during the EPIC trial, and you were seeing politicians talk about it then, but it's completely faded away. At at least in the US. I think in Europe, it's a little bit different, but uh, in the US, it's basically a non-issue. As somebody
1: who has the majority of their uh, exposure to stocks and, and index funds, it's uh, something that I think about is how big can these companies get where are the next generation of winners and I've been probably I probably said that when Apple was one and a half trillion dollars but it's now 2.7 right and so where like are we gonna be talking here uh in five years when Apple's at like seven trillion and it, and we were like I was worried at 2.5 like, <laughs> you would think that at some point there is an upper bound of how big these companies can get but maybe not
0: you would think until you see Google in or Alphabet in a difficult quarter from a macro perspective, put up and FX have wins, By the way, put up you know thirteen percent revenue growth. Like all, all these players they have so <laughs> many. They
2: have so many levers to pull. Yeah. They so just that continue when one grow. part of the business is hurting, they can do something somewhere else and yeah. just deliver. Yeah. And these I mean, companies are machines; they just deliver. But so history
1: would say that there is a lot of turnover at the top, right? The top yeah. ten lists. For there's sure. there's a lot of turnover. Uh, at the risk of sounding like an idiot. Is it different this time? I think that you can make a case that these names are so entrenched. And I know that you could have done that probably previously sure. with with the IBMs and the, the energy names, but not to the extent that these names are just such a part of our life. And what disrupts Google? What disrupts Apple?
0: Yeah. I mean, to the point, the quote you started with, I mean, cloud computing, in my mind, is, is part of what that is. It's something that's a benefit to all corporations and society at large, if it lives up to
1: the, and the scale. The, we've never seen companies so, this big, so, growing right. this quickly, this profitable, these margins. It's right. never
2: happened. So right. I so I guess I don't agree with the premise that they're undisruptible uh, forever because look at what's going on with Meta. It is being mm-hmm. disrupted in every facet of its business. But if we were talking about this two years ago, like you, you would have put them in the same category in terms of lock-in, that you would now put Apple and Amazon. Like you would look at the stranglehold well, of Instagram, pre-pandemic, pre-TikTok. And you TikTok before the mm-hmm. pandemic was called Musical.ly. Right. And my kids lived on the app. And I looked it up, I'm like, who makes Musical.ly? And it's it's like I don't know it's a Chinese uh, intelligence black ops, don't worry about it. But like th- so much has changed to the point
1: where Meta has lost half its market cap. Fine. We're gonna do a whole, we're gonna do a whole thing on Meta later. So just put a pin in this for a second, um, Alex. Where do you think we are generally on earnings? I th- I made the case that I think that we can say with the benefit of hindsight that the market got it wrong in terms of selling Apple off twenty nine percent, Amazon forty five percent given that we now know that Apple had a record June quarter that Google still was growing. Like was, what, where do you see generally speaking earnings?
0: Outside of, outside of advertising, most of the names I've seen have been fairly strong. We were talking about Disney before we hopped on, they were talking about the parks and saying that the parks are doing very well and they see no sign of that changing. I mean, that's a very expensive trip to take. I
2: think this whole thing, I don't know that the market got it wrong, but for a different reason than you might think, I think it's a tale of two consumers. So when you watch business television or you read the Wall Street Journal or whatever, you hear about the consumer this, the consumer that, it's not one consumer. And actually, as good as Disney's parks business was, Six Flags was a shit show. We're in the same business. (laughs) It's a different customer. Different demographic. Well, that's my point. So Apple caters to a customer that is not really gonna materially change their lifestyle based on inflation. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you like that's the reality. I bet you Android is not doing as well as Apple in whatever, you know, metric that you want to look at for that reason. So yeah. it's really tough to monolithically talk about the US consumer as though everybody's living the same lifestyle. We know for, for a fact that there is a component to the US consumer, uh or there there is a there is a a strata within the US consumer where, you know, five, six dollar uh Gallon of gas materially changes the way they live their lives. Yeah, but that's not most people. Sure,
0: I mean, I mean, food inflation running in double digits means something a lot different for, uh, yeah, for for different people.
2: It sucks that it is that way. So, if you were looking at the data, the consumer slowdown, and you looked at Walmart mm-hmm. spitting the bit and being like, "Guys, it's bad," and then you said this will apply to Apple, then you don't know anything about the U.S. consumer yeah. because these are two different worlds.
0: Well, and again, as we've seen in so many industries too the the pandemic had a weird impact even on someone like Walmart where you see the non-food categories had a fantastic two-year run yeah. and you know some of this can just be overhang if you buy TVs for your house
2: you don't need to keep doing you that you don't
0: need more of them and if yeah. they cut the price 10% that might not change anything anyways because if you just bought one 18 months ago it doesn't matter may how not much need you need cut one. the price When yeah. i
1: say that markets were wrong i mean investors were wrong investor expectations were clearly wrong because look how people were positioned going into earnings season like people and this is this is mainly the reason why you're seeing stocks react the way they are where you're seeing companies miss and still trade higher coinbase's report was dog shit mm-hmm. and it's had a very nice run since why people are offside people are way too bearish yeah. so
2: this is this is the net percentage taking higher than normal risk levels and
1: it's a bank of america global fund manager survey and we're literally like these people are as defensive as they've been since freaking lehman blew up
2: the july right the july reading was as was as risk off for global portfolio managers as October of 08. So people were
1: not positioned, obviously, for softer inflation numbers, and they were definitely not positioned for earnings holding in the way that they did. And the theory that I have on this is that people were were saying that there was maybe a one-to-one correlation between inflation and consumer slowing down. And I think that the a lot of the Target Walmart inventory stuff really threw people off, yeah. and they read too much into that. I think I did, mm-hmm. um, but maybe inflation is having a lagging impact because consumers, if we as we spoke about going into the recession, were so flush with cash that maybe inflation hits them on a lag, and earnings don't soften up until maybe Q three Q four.
2: So we know we know what you just said is true, and consumers are also now willing to go back into more credit card debt uh, to keep their lifestyle. Now mm-hmm. that they've had a taste of it, people, it's very hard for people to downshift. And actually Wells Fargo put out credit card data indicating that their customers are using their rewards points for everyday purchases like groceries and gas. Hmm. Whereas like I think during the pandemic, they were able to use those points for like something bigger, like a dishwasher or something mm-hmm. or something. Now they're just using it to get by. And that's like usually not a great sign. Mm-hmm. Um, credit card spending overall has now eclipsed the, pre-pan- the pre-pandemic high. So huh. we're like back to as though that never happened. So the consumer is more resilient than you think because they still have access to credit, which they haven't really had to use yeah. for a couple of years. Um, the other thing, though, that's happened, I don't want to give earnings season all of the credit for this market rebound. Look at, look at wh- what's gone on with the 10-year. Mm-hmm. And look at what's happened uh, to the price of gasoline. In the last 60 days, we've seen gasoline prices, relatively speaking, collapse. And we've seen borrowing costs come back down. 30-year mortgage uh, just dropped. Like we're seeing refis again. Again. (laughs) We thought maybe never see another refi again. They're back. And it didn't take long. So I think there's a really quick reaction where the consumer gets a little bit of relief at the pump. And says, you know what? I think I will go back to Dairy Queen tonight. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. Hey, is Airbnb an inflation hedge?
2: Um, I
0: guess it could be in <laughs> theory, given that they take a, a take rate off of the daily room rate. So I guess in theory, so, it what, could it,
1: be. so what did you what did you take out of their earnings report?
0: My main t- one of my main takeaways on Airbnb is that as I look at all the companies that I follow, so many have either early on or now had a negative impact from the pandemic and obviously they had a negative one very early on. But I think it's actually led the company to become better on the back end because they they were coming from a place where they had been private obviously for a very long time. Their funding was they they had they didn't live in the public markets. And then they went public and went through a ton of pain. And I think they had to basically start building a real business and get their cost structure Uh, you know, normalize basically and figure out things like marketing, whether or not they needed to spend money or if the brand was good enough. And they basically have learned that we don't need nearly the marketing spend that we had. And yeah, now on the back end, they're, they're just seeing massive increases and long-term stays is in my, you know, when people stay in an Airbnb for a week or a month or longer, that's a part of the business that is obviously very differentiated from a hotel as opposed to like a one or two night
1: stay. That's Nobody stays in a hotel for a month. When you right, stay at exactly. a month at an Airbnb, can you negotiate different rates? Yeah. Okay. And you, you typically get- Because otherwise like, it'd be an unfun right? You're not going to pay a hundred- It's still very 50- expensive,
0: but yeah, you typically get like a 20% discount if you're going over 28 days, something like that.
1: What's-
2: All right. So, how, so you, you follow Airbnb closely. Are you bullish overall on this story? Do you feel like it's got much, much more potential than we've seen so far? Yeah, I think I'd what has this stock done uh, in the last like like year to date? It's not been With great. all the technology, yeah, it hasn't Come done on. hasn't done very well. Okay, why are you why are you bullish on the story?
0: I think the long term growth potential for this business, particularly as a result of what's happened with long term stays, seven plus days stays are now half the business. That's and amazing. I, th- I think a lot of that is structural. We may see some correction, obviously, as behavior coming out of the pandemic may normalize a little bit. But I think they've found something that is, again, it's, it, there's no real competitor for it outside of VRBO. You're not, you're not competing with the hotel room at that point. And I think Airbnb VRBO has, is
2: Expedia? Uh, yeah. Do any of the hotels have competing services that are starting to scale? Not like extended stay or stuff like that, but they don't have they okay, don't, like they don't Mar- like Marriott doesn't have a, a an Airbnb killer, not anything sizable, no. Okay, so they have of. this to themselves, they just have Pretty to. Much.
0: I mean, it's them and VRBO, VR Expedia doesn't break out any numbers basically. So, okay, <laughs> I've
2: never been, bu- I have never, so I have never been bullish on Airbnb, and the first time I heard about it in like 2011, I was like. Who the <laughs> f- would let strangers stay in their house. I'm
1: very bullish on Airbnb. I, I
2: just never got it. So so, I,
1: so I, I remember when you when you wrote about Airbnb last quarter, you said that the opportunity set is more attractive now, but relative to the other attractive opportunities, it, <laughs> it doesn't make the cut. But you wrote today, or when I whenever I, you wrote this. Uh, at $115 per share, the company has a market cap of $80 billion with the business at $1.7 billion in trailing 12 month operating income. That implies a valuation of 45 to 50 times EBIT, which is obviously rich. But you made the point that even going out uh, a couple of years, if they continue to grow at, at 20 uh, with, with significant margin expansion, mm-hmm. that they're still 25 times going yep. out to 2026. 20, but the point that I made to you earlier is that would this company ever be cheap? like and if it is you, that's when you don't want it
0: yeah it happens i mean it was it was at 90 bucks a couple of weeks ago but go go pick a list of stocks that were you know significantly cheaper than than they
2: are today <laughs> throw this chart up average daily rates i want to ask you about this so on the surface it looks good but is that even keeping up with the rate of inflation this, uh, so it's saying, <laughs> let's explain to people what's in this chart. What are yeah, we looking at? Yeah, so this
0: at? just shows the cost of a, of a room night, basically. An so Airbnb,
2: $164 is the average daily, daily rate night. for yeah. all Airbnbs yep. Um, in Q2 2022. Yeah. And the last quarter of 2020, for a comparison, it was 128. Well, 2020 doesn't count. And people were not really traveling. Yeah.
0: yeah. I but I mean, it's, no, so back, it's grown, is my point. If you go back to pre-pandemic, it's up. You know, basically fifty bucks. Hey, I want to ask you. Night.
1: I want to ask you about this. Um, companies having the ability to maybe manipulate their free cash flow or get get cute with the uh-huh. Um, Obviously, the street was was um, rewarding growth at all costs for the last few years, right? Like Silicon Valley. We're don't worry, we'll subsidize. We'll subsidize. We got your back. Just grow, 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 grow. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of Uber was telling. Uh, I think that there was an employee memo that leaked that. Okay, the game has changed. Now we have to start showing free cash flow. They did. Lyft did. Airbnb did. Yeah. did. Is this going to be easier or harder than investors think in terms of like turning the dials up and down to show the street what they want to see? Well, I think a lot of companies
0: are going to drastically change. what. The, I mean, we even hear it from the companies that we talked about that are doing very well, like Apple and Google and Microsoft. Even these guys in some ways are saying we're going to make adjustments here there to be more thoughtful about where we play. Other companies are just going to completely get out of markets, in my opinion, in order to, they have to satisfy that demand of their investors. Basically. We saw like
2: we saw, PayPal bottom out in the 60s or $70 per share or something, and they basically were like, all right, here's the deal. We've spent the last few years focused on building the user base. Right. Now we're going to change our focus entirely. They have 400 million users. They mm-hmm. don't have to. So now instead of that pursuing growth at any cost, we're going to focus on- better monetization of the users we have. Yeah. And I'm guessing the street liked it. Stock went up 30 points.
0: Yeah. Spotify is so, a very similar story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers Discovery is a similar story. Okay. They're coming from a different angle. So but ca- so like cash flow is cool again. They, they Zaslov, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, said on the call, I don't care what the subscriber number is anymore. Where a year ago he was saying the primary goal is 200,
2: 300,
0: 400 million. GSC
2: so so that's, like that's like a meme <laughs> that, that <laughs> floats around through the economy. Which one? Just like the, the changeover from growth to, mm-hmm. to cash flow. And like all the CFOs, they, they hear it somewhere and they adopt it and they bring it to their CEO, or the CEO co- goes, to, uh, goes to the Sun Valley conference, right? And comes home and is like, man, Bezos was talking about free cash flow and everybody's into this now, let's do this. But is, is, that, is it that simple?
0: Yeah. And I, to back to our earlier discussion. It's a know, vibe. The 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 big boys, the Apples and the Microsofts and Amazon, I mean, especially if they can buy other companies, which I, I don't know how much leash they'll be given on that going forward unless they're very small deals, but they can just continue to play offense through this, or at least on a relative basis, more offense than everybody else who has to, again, they have to appease shareholders, especially companies with huge stock-based comp and everything else. They have to appease shareholders and do something to, to get someone to want to own the company. But you basically. must love
1: this because as a fundamental investor, they're, not every company is the same. Like Shopify is going through whatever they're going through. Spotify seem, listen to Spotify's call and things seem to be never better there. I know it's not necessarily yeah. the case, but like there are companies and stocks are like not one and it's not just one blob anymore.
0: Right. And I, I it's It's interesting to see how stock price and investor, I'm sure obviously the companies are directly communicating with the street and, and hearing their concerns, but- interesting to see how those things can push companies to at least tweak the way they approach us. Spotify very clearly did that even Facebook I mean Zuck came out on the Q1 call and said we're not just going to grow the reality lab stuff in perpetuity it has to have some connection to the operating income growth of the core business and they're seeing that put to the test right now because obviously the core business is really hurting particularly from uh, macro factors but you know, companies have to, even in a situation like that, he felt the need, we have to do something because, again, we pay a lot of stock-based comp and our employees care what the stock prices. is. Uh, what
1: did you think of what uh, Rich Barton did over at Zillow, like topping off uh, RSU's I didn't see it, but uh, Zillow's been— So he he basically made the case that it's much easier to keep and retain talent Mm -hmm. as opposed to going out and hiring new ones. Yeah. And so given the destruction of the stock, I think—I don't know if it fell 90%, but it might as well have. Yeah. They're they're topping off uh, and taking care of some some key employees.
2: So 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 going to employees and just being like, all right, we're going to replace a lot of the value that you lost. yeah. That's smart. Smart of yeah. I mean, than trying to hire in this yeah. environment for uh, brand new people.
3: I
0: think you have to operate under the, under the principle that when these really bad times come around, companies are just going to... I mean, Google did it during the financial crisis, I believe. Other companies did. They're just going to do this, and you either accept that or you don't, basically. Not that I like it, but well, I think they're just going to do it. They not, have to, basically. They
1: said this will dilute existing shareholders over the next few years by 2%. All right. I mean, big deal.
2: Yeah. Smart, yeah. smart business. So um, I feel like the the recession meme really got very carried away on social media. And people that are very influential, like Elon Musk, basically like, I guarantee you were already in a recession. And uh, I think that got to a point where you saw a lot of like venture capital guys doing these like very performative tweet storms about how they're going to be the last man standing and our founders are getting the message from us that we blah, 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 blah.
1: Forget growth, survive.
2: Right. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, by the way. I'm not like I'm not like mocking it at all. What the hell do I know? Um, I actually think that with interest rates going up and economic growth 100% slowing, it doesn't have to be a recession to just say like, okay, maybe this isn't the best time for empire building um, and maybe there's not going to be unlimited capital that you can raise. Okay, so that makes sense. And then it goes all the way up to the top to the point where S&P 500 CEOs are feeling and acting the same way, which leads me to uh, the concept of a vibe session. So it's not quite a recession technically. Like obviously nobody would look at, um, nobody would look at employment data and conclude that this is like a recession, but it's a vibe session in the sense that people feel like it's worse than it is. What do you think? So we're going to (laughs) give, We're going to give Kyla uh, Scanlon credit for her very – I I don't know if it's controversial – her very notable op-ed in The New York Times um, talking about this concept. And people went nuts. And some people (laughs) were like, how dare you call it a vibe session, my grocery bill, blah, blah, blah. All right, Right. fine. We all all get that. But I really think there's a lot to this also, and I think Mm -hmm. she's right. I think we could talk ourselves into a recession – with a vibe session, what yeah. do you think about that?
0: I, I, I think it makes sense, and it's funny you, you see that you see that on one side, and then on the other side, you see people saying like, "I went to you know Vegas or X Y Z place, and people are spending like there's no end in sight." I mean, and you see it in the company's numbers too. So, depending on the industry, I was just talking but, with my
1: friend who went to Vegas, and he said he was speaking for one of the CFOs of the company. He's like, "I don't understand what the street says. <laughs> like, look at my numbers, look at my parking lot. Right. Like, we've never been busier."
2: Right. This is Kyla in the Times. Economic indicators are a Jackson Pollock painting of data points and trends. (laughs) If you think hard enough about all of them, they begin to make a bit of sense. But there's a lot to interpret. Economists have baseline theories about what the economy should do. But a pandemic, a war, and supply chain woes have widened the gap between the, quote, reality of economic data and people's experiences of that reality. Um, So I think that's right. And then you throw in the political angle there are some people who are highly motivated to convince everyone around them that we're in a recession Mid- this mid-term for partisan reason up. because it's a, a midterm year. Sure. So nobody should be surprised that when you get two two contracting quarters of GDP, that people are going to seize on that and use it to tell a bigger story. But then I saw this guy on Squawk Box this morning. He's a pollster, Frank Luntz. Uh-huh. Did you see this? I didn't see it, but I, I know who he is, or I know the name. I mean, no offense, but... <laughs> This guy's whole sh- – Andy, Andy Ross Orkin was, like, cornering him. Like, he's like, how could you look at this data and say people aren't spending money? And his answer was, oh, no, they're spending money, but they're not buying the things they want. They're buying, like, things that they don't really want that much. And I was just watching this, like, dude, try, <laughs> don't try that hard. Don't bend yourself into pretzels. It's not a recession. The consumer is not behaving as though it's a recession, there are some companies telling us that consumers are trading up. You know what Disney said? They said we have less guests, but... We have so many guests that there are some days that are totally sold out. Yeah, and the guests who are coming are spending more than ever. Yeah. So what are you literally talking about? Yeah,
0: per caps are up forty percent from twenty nineteen. That's, that's crazy. Per guest spending at right. the park. Right. So I, th- crazy. I actually think
1: spending <laughs> might be slightly down from nineteen, but to your point, spending per guest per guest is yeah. illuder- By the way, that's the best inflation edge. Maybe not the stock, but Disney <laughs> Disney parks are. The other thing is that. We're the 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 layoffs that you're seeing are from brand name companies, and so you just see headline, uh, Robinhood, Coinbase, Netflix. Like it's just Tesla. It's just one after the other. Google, Apple, slowing hiring. Yeah, and so you take all these little like anecdotal points, and you say like, okay, see,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, right. I
0: mean, a lot of those tech companies have hired a ton of people over
1: the past handful of years, too. Yeah, that's right. more right. of that's a that's point. more
2: of a corrective back to a normal yeah. like Amazon added a million workers in a year. Right. That, what did you think? They're gonna do that again. I saw yeah. somebody
1: tweet like uh, tech CEOs in twenty twenty one were hiring like crazy. Tech CEOs in twenty twenty two, we hired like crazy. <laughs>
2: Here's the chief yeah. economist at LPL talking about the last jobs report. So the economy added five hundred twenty-eight thousand payroll jobs in July. Very recessionary. Again, very very recessionary. <laughs> Uh, but this this is his comment. Firms ramped up production and increased manufacturing payrolls by roughly 30,000 in July. So for every 500 people laid off from Netflix, here's 30,000 added to actual work. Uh, New jobs in manufacturing are likely due to improved supply chains, and this sector should continue to add jobs as remaining supply bottlenecks improve. Total employment has now returned to pre-pandemic levels in February, 2020, but not to pre-pandemic trends. Um, the one negative is the participation rate dropped slightly, but okay, we have a lot of boomers. Can't,
1: there can't be a recession with 4% unemployment. Yeah, Sorry, I, that's I, it.
2: Look
0: at, look at Costco, Target, but wait a minute. Chipotle, they're all have raised so, wages significantly. So today. we have
1: <laughs> added
2: back, this is the, the big picture. We've added back 22 million jobs in 18 months. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. So we might have a recession, but to say that we're in one now, I mean, you. Re- yeah, we might have one. Might have one. Should have one at some point. Uh, what are we looking at here? Oh, you tell this me. This is broad based <laughs> job gains in July, surprise to the upside. Uh, change in pay. Yeah, I mean, not just the change in payrolls, but now look at the, uh, the three month moving average. Look at the six month moving average. This, this is stable. Is that a head and shoulders? No, but it's stable. <laughs> The moving average is it's stability. It's not it's not really going anywhere. So it threatened to for a moment, but it didn't it didn't in the past.
1: Before we get to some of the streaming stuff, uh which to me has been like the most exciting topic uh to follow of the year, how would you describe your style of investing?
0: Uh I, I tend to focus on company reckless, th- <laughs> reckless just completely yes. wild-eyed <laughs> road darts. The Yeezy of <laughs> stock pickers. No, I really focus on business say, quality above all else, and and at, over time, I've I've married that kind of with management quality as well. Because the distinction for me really falls apart because I tend to be long-term and concentrated. So, again, the management team's strategic decision making just becomes part of business quality over time. But it's really finding. 10, 15 names that I really want to own for the long term. Like Berkshire and Microsoft my largest positions. I've owned them since 2011. How do
2: you avoid long term like the pitfalls of something like a GE where that was the most vaunted management strategy in the whole world? They wrote many, many books, leather-bound books about that. that And it ended up that Actually, the company was so mismanaged that it became one of the biggest wrecking balls in American corporate history. So, how do you how do you avoid that pitfall?
0: Yeah, well, for one, I try to stay with things that I understand, and that I can uh, can can really you know nail the kind of drivers of the business over time. You're so like, it's like very consumer focused,
2: tech, media stuff that you
3: can
0: yeah. see. Why is this company growing? Why yeah. why do they deserve to make more money five ten years from now? Something like GE. I, I mean, I've gone back and, for example, I looked at Countrywide, the 10K for 2006 one time just to see what it was. And I, reading it in hindsight, I was like, I still wouldn't have known that there were problems here. I just can't, I okay. can't understand a lot of what's being written here. So I try to avoid things like that to, okay. the, to the best of my abilities. And then, you know, I've, I've really had trouble in the past or a handful of my ideas that haven't worked have been ideas where the company was kind of losing relevance in terms of what consumers cared about. And you can make a case maybe on valuation or something like that, but I've learned I just got hurt in names like that. IBM, I got into JCPenney around the same time as Bill Ackman, Kraft Heinz, names that if you step back and looked at where they were positioned relative to kind of competitors or emerging competitors, it was very obvious even at the time of the investment they were losing some of their relevance. Okay. So I really try to avoid those things now.
2: So but how do you like measure that so that you can avoid it? It's uh, I'm guessing it's not quantitative. Like it's got to be a feel thing.
0: Well, it could be something. So I own Meta for example and it might be an example of breaking this rule, something like TikTok becoming clearly a much more relevant player. Now Facebook's daily active users continues to grow and the family daily active users continue to grow. So I think there's allegedly. Allegedly. It could all be a lie and <laughs> um, so I think there's you know there's there's evidence on both sides in that situation but it could be an example. The Joey's of, not out there. Yeah. I don't okay. think so. we're going
1: to we're going to all to meta. The thing the thing that I find especially fascinating about the streaming war is how Wall Street can influence business. Yeah. Because one of the big things that the market prized and valued highly was recurring revenue, mm-hmm. right? And that is subscription services, that is streaming. And so that's the game that everybody was playing was, let's catch up to Netflix, right? Always trading at a ludicrous multiple. And then uh, the wheels fell off, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so, so we're at this interesting place where everybody was chasing them. Now they're sort of chasing it. So, so streaming is is doing poorly. Cable is doing poorly, what the hell is the what is the state of streaming right now? Because it's it's just it's a lot.
0: Yeah. The state of streaming is uh, six months ago Netflix came out and said subscriber growth is has completely changed from the trends that we saw previously. Went I mean, negative. Yeah, went negative. And you know, before they were adding on a trailing two-month basis or two-year basis, they were adding, you know, mid-50 million subscribers oh. a year leading up to the pandemic. And now they're coming out and saying it might not grow much from here, essentially. So that was kind of the first major, the start of the reset. Subsequently, other companies have come out. I mean, Disney is one kind of exception, but they've also had their own headwinds. But the other companies have come out and said, our results are not that good. The difference between them and Netflix is Netflix has built up a $30 billion, you know, run rate business and margins have improved over time. They have a path to make this actually work. For a lot of the subscale players, the path to make that What are the subscale stocks in this space? Paramount, paramount else. nbc universal which is part of comcast warner it's amazing Bros. that nbc all these is stocks sub-scale. all these stocks yeah. suck in C they are at least right uh wbd is on is that warner sub- brother yeah warner brothers discovery is i'd still say it's subscale person in terms of global that's it, but that's HBO, D-C. yeah okay. which is basically a u.s brand or i would say low. right i would and say what y- the
1: hell are they doing what is their story they're they're merging <laughs> they're gonna get are they gonna get rid of the hbo name
0: uh, HBO. It sounds like HBO is going to basically become a part of whatever service they yeah. have, so it'll be a tab. We'll or, never get rid of that name. Yeah. So that's all the name, the name so but it won't be the name of the service. It sounds like that's the they're, they're okay.
2: It just yeah. basically becomes a studio. Yeah. Uh, le- just like uh, Disney's not going to get rid of Marvel just because they own it. Right. Like you have that uh, you have that brand. Yeah. The brand has value to the consumer. You don't get rid of it.
1: It can that be booklet. within the app or whatever. Okay. But, yeah. but, but these are some of the worst performing stocks in the market: Comcast, Warner Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Paramount to all of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, Warner Brothers, they, they came together last year with Discovery Discovery and, and Warner from AT&T, which AT&T, my understanding of what they wanted was they wanted a bunch of cash to help pay off debt as opposed to just having a massive equity slug in the combined company. So this new company got saddled with $50 billion plus of debt, and they're going through Wait, a Wait, tri- they
2: put the debt on the streamer?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because AT&T wanted cash. They, I mean, they still got equity as well, but- the Warner piece of this combination was so much bigger than a Discovery piece that— What's so
2: funny is that AT&T itself is such a shit show. The stock price, <laughs> so it's not even like it helped them. Right.
1: And how, ba- how bad was the movie Batgirl, honestly? It was probably—and I like bad movies. Yeah. This was
0: probably unwatchable. I mean, it's getting trashed. I mean, no one's going to see it now, but— <laughs> I actually—I
2: saw a rough cut of it. Oh, yeah? And, how was uh, it? Yeah, no, I think they should have released it. But so it's just— again, The opening it- scene is Batgirl goes into a <laughs> kindergarten class— uh. And starts having, like, this very heated conversation about gender with the kids. Oh, wow. So,
1: Duncan, cut (laughs) that. And then it gets
2: way better from there. So Don't you dare cut it. These kids he's doubled over laughing.
1: these, The cable companies are in secular decline, right? People are cutting the cord.
2: Yeah,
0: pay TVs. I mean, in my opinion, pay TVs in secular decline. And it's become worse in the past six months. and
1: And so it is just interesting that those stocks suck. They are in secular decline. And on the other hand, like, the winners, which are the streamers, are getting the shit kicked out of them, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, people are trying to figure out what this business actually looks like on the other side, and the question is partly: Are you going to be a global company, or are you going to be a regional company? You know, Warner Brothers they have a reasonably good U.S. business in terms of direct to consumer. It's international where they don't really have the pieces, and it's partly because of HBO's prior strategy where they license so much content. The brand doesn't mean the same thing internationally that it does here. Mm. Do you own any of these? I own Netflix and Disney. Um, So, but anyway, so they they. Got together with Discovery, which has an international portfolio. The only problem is a lot of the content is like filler that you know it's HGTV and Discovery Channel and things like that. And it's when they were standalone. Like two guys
2: in a junkyard. Yes, Storage uh, Wars. Looking for uh, a grandfather clock to restore. Right, and there are people that will watch that if they. Like a switching channels on a television, right? But probably aren't subscribing to a streaming service, right? Because that exists
3: on. But
1: the so platform. when are we going to find out whether or not Netflix's uh, ad experimentation is going to work? Because they're going to phase that in very very slowly, First right? They're going to start. Uh, Me, I think in South America they said, and but so this could take multiple multiple quarters. They said Q one. Yeah, I mean, for it's this to be, time to be
0: rolled out yeah. in a big way and for us to see, I mean, a big question is going to be how well can this thing monetize? Well, let me ask you about me, that. You
1: must be optimistic given that you own the stock. Here's what I think is interesting. If
0: you look at any legacy, any of the legacy media companies that has an ad supported tier and a, a, just a subscription tier, they all across the board say that the ad supported tier, the ARPU from that advertising piece makes that a higher ARPU offering than the premium tier.
2: Does it Does it cannibalize the premium tier, though?
0: It could, but I guess part of the question would be, no. do you, do you no. care at that point? I don't
1: think, I don't okay. think people are going to switch
2: down. Do you find it interesting that they went to Microsoft as their partner to build the ads out? And considering that Microsoft is who Facebook went to in 07 when they needed an ad strategy, they had no uh-huh. revenue. Was, went that,
0: to, was that before? Or after because Microsoft eventually invested in Facebook. That, well, that's yeah. how they
2: got. No, they didn't. They were given equity. Oh, okay. As part of. I gotcha. So Zucker, Zuckerberg went to Microsoft, or ultimately chose Microsoft. Uh huh. Help us build out an ad platform. Yeah. And they did, and the rest is history. It became one of the most successful ad platforms of all time. Uh-huh. That's who Netflix chose. Yeah, I doubt it's the same people, but uh-huh. uh, I found that really interesting.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of connection between those two companies going back as well. So I, I think it, I think it's a pretty sensible partner for them. And that's just my- big picture,
2: like is Reed Hastings not going to do this?
0: No, so what? He's, gonna, he's gonna of gonna course, do course this. he's going
2: to do this. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. might be naive, but that's just how I feel. Let's look, yeah. at,
1: let's look at some of these charts. I mean, this this Warner Media direct to consumer trailing twelve month profitability. This is this is this is, this is savage. This what, is, this I mean that's is, what but, happens. But this is on purpose. That's, See that's yeah, the exactly. thing. Look
2: look when this chart starts Mike Q3 2020 the mindset in the Nasdaq is still growth at any growth at any cost do whatever you have to do build the subs right? Yeah. So that's why they're spending like this. That it's, was the strategy they were pursuing. That,
0: that They said they were going to do it. It's effectively done now to a certain extent the new management team has said that's we're not doing this They said
2: we're gonna make so many new episodes of this sex in the city horror show <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna spend unlimited amounts of money to continue to make sex in the city
0: <laughs> but so and one of did. the things
1: that you keep talking about and john next chart please is just that- real quick though yeah, on, that, on that point
0: disney the successful the successful entrant in the space everybody basically agrees with that since the start of 2020 their d2c business has lost seven billion dollars success here is years of significant loss. They just said they're going to build a base. They just said they're going to cut. You have to be willing to do. They're
2: going to cut spending from thirty-two billion to thirty billion. Yeah, think about these numbers. Yeah, like, and they
0: said more important. The next handful of years, they're probably going to stay in that ballpark. So now you have both Netflix and Disney saying, "We're going to we're going to stay. Can we here stay on for a this.
2: Bit. Can we stay on this? So okay, so they're they're both going to spend Netflix and Disney full speed ahead. Yeah. Now you a lot of have money. okay. <laughs> now you have Amazon Prime. Yeah is going to start writing billion-dollar checks to the NFL. And Lord and, of the Rings. And and you have Apple who's – getting better. Any, at any moment, Apple could just decide to drop a, a huge spending blitz, a bomb on Hollywood, yeah. anytime it feels like it. Yeah. So how could you be subscale in an environment where the average consumer is going to have how many of these things? So who is that, Four? like Peacock? Yeah, I
0: mean, those people, they won't, they won't stick around. Paramount Plus. They, they won't be services.
2: Well, could any of them get bought? Why wouldn't Apple just just buy one of these things? Well,
0: I, want, I mean, I think Microsoft ATVI is an interesting case of whether or not stuff like this is going to be allowed to be done. Any, I mean, is, is Apple going to be allowed to go buy any company for $20 billion? I
2: in, think Apple will get away with it because they're not acquisitive. I don't, so, think, I don't think um, Alphabet could I'm, yeah. or, or Amazon. I'm that pretty sure Apple so, yeah. could. What's
1: Disney Hulu going to look like in a year or two?
0: Uh, well, they have to resolve the fact that Comcast still owns a third of Hulu, but once they do that, I think they eventually collapse Hulu into kind of a Disney app base. I mean, they have the bundle now, which effectively works okay, but I think they need to integrate it. I more think, but these services
1: are getting better. Like Apple's yeah. getting significantly better. Yeah, Hulu, yeah. Hulu's getting significantly better. Yeah. Like the content is getting better, but the next chart shows that Netflix is still the king. Let me yeah. show. Oh, like,
2: wow. By double. Yeah. What it, is this? This is rev- streaming revenues. Yeah, run rate, Netflix is still twice as big as Disney.
0: Run rate annual revenues, Netflix is twice as big as Disney, basically, and bigger than all
2: three of them combined. Uh, Just slightly bigger. Netflix is so big, <laughs> yeah. And it's so international. Yeah, they've done such a great job in so many countries, in a way that, like, I think would be even be a challenge for Disney. Back to the previous
0: point about w b d and their international problems their their international run rate revenues now are basically one point seven billion dollars a year netflix international that's nothing is seven, right? seventeen billion yeah oh so my god. as they as they to go global for them is just such a massive challenge and if they had a decent balance sheet, it would be a massive challenge and then their netflix repurposing
2: global content for the u s market has been an absolute home run,
0: yeah,
1: one I mean, that
2: nobody thought
1: was possible. So this chart to me is like uh, index funds. It's just like a one-way secular rise taking stream. We're looking at the share of US time sh- TV streaming. Right now it's at about 30%. This is going to get to 50% eventually. Do you, do you disagree? Hold on. No, it's just
2: there. share of US TV time for from streaming, streaming services, services as a percentage of the so, total TV time. On the surface, it hasn't grown that much, but this only goes back to May 21. Yeah. Nielsen just started. But look, but,
1: but just incentive went from 25 to 30 to 35 almost.
2: 30. That's a lot. It's a a third of TV time. So Netflix, Netflix
1: in in, in May was 6.8% of all hours on TV was based on Netflix. And then in June, it was 7.7%. That's a huge increase. Yeah. Stranger things. Right. Okay.
2: (laughs) But Netflix is maintaining this six, 7% share of the total pie.
0: Like
1: pretty consistently. As the pie is growing.
2: As the overall pie is growing. And this is their most
0: competitive market by far. So. Uh, if you want to reason. What is b- the United States? Yeah. If right. you want
1: to reason be bullish
0: Netflix, this is a pretty compelling chart right here. <laughs> They've managed to hold their own in in the most difficult period competitive wise. And that competitiveness is going to start going. But so there's
1: got to be consumer fatigue because even on my TV and I subscribe to a lot of them, it's like click, 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 click. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, that's part of their problem, right? They have to figure out how to obviously make a lot of really good shows, but then also to surface them and get people sure. to watch. Well, them. the
1: consumer is winning because there is just a ton of good content. Yeah.
2: But the old content still works too, which is so remarkable about streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there are people starting Game of Thrones for the first time. Yeah. There are people starting Breaking Bad for the first time. Mm-hmm. These were expensive shows to make, but the, the tail is so long for all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, in certain cases, those shows can hold on, which is obviously. Hey, let me important. ask you
2: how, how terrible on the scale of one to ten. Ten being incredibly terrible is the new Game of Thrones going to be?
0: I was not a huge fan of the first one. At the end, at least, so uh, I'll, you don't
2: I'll count. say it's going to be
3: pretty bad. <laughs> I, I never watched it. <laughs> what?
2: what am I doing here? I watched it, John. How yeah. bad is this? Uh, what is it called? Dragon, Let's go Dragon Love, House What's of the, the Dragon, I think. House of the Dragon. I think it yeah. looks it looks horrible, right? Yeah, not excited. This could be. This could be. This could be deathly for WBD stock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if not this be thing good. flops on arrival, that would not be good. It could be very bad
1: for that stock. So, if this is not uh, if there's not enough choices, what the hell is Walmart doing now? <laughs> so,
0: Walmart's trying to basically find their their path to Amazon Prime. Oh, my God. And, Stop. Uh, yeah.
2: It that, should just be closed circuit uh, television of Walmart cash registers. <laughs> that should be the whole streaming service. Just yeah. brawls in Walmart.
0: Well, it's not going to get watched very much. So, they might as well
2: do that. <laughs> well, what would they really do to differentiate themselves?
0: They've toyed with this stuff in the past, and they never found a way to do it, partly because there probably isn't a logical. How way about to just do like
2: it. one show? It's just Dukes of Hazard, but it's yeah. every season. <laughs> and I don't know what else, what what could Walmart do that everyone else isn't doing. I mean, they'll probably do just charge less. Agreements.
0: Agreements? They'll just do agreements like the wireless companies do, where you get a service for free or at a very discounted rate or whatever. But I, they shouldn't do anything on their own. Again, they've toyed with this stuff in the past, and it's. It's not where they should be focused. I'm only watching
2: a uh, CVS <laughs> uh, streaming content. Hey, this right this now, is a dumb
1: question. So. How do how do cable companies like grow their subscriber base? Is this just like household formation thing? Cable We're, meaning like internet or it, like just like the cable like Comcast getting yeah. new people to subscribe? A lot of
0: household formation and then taking share in the markets that they compete in, which is part of the problem right now. They say mover churn is down significantly and household formation is down. And we typically, when someone moves or goes to you know buy a new house, we win a larger percentage of those. New opportunities than we have in our base, so we gain share and we grow our customers. But people aren't moving like they were before, so it's, it's an impact to their business. Let me ask this:
1: so Ben Carlson is famous for every year he claims that he negotiates a lower price on his cable bill. I don't buy it, but that's what he oh, says. F- Sprinkles does. <laughs> that's what he says. I no, we do. Okay, I don't believe you either.
2: We get free, no. It's not a lower rate. More free shit. Okay, because <laughs> I tried.
1: Last year and uh you're i not fa- you're not
2: you're not you're no Ben Carlson.
1: <laughs> I failed miserably. And here's my my thesis is that people in, in the Midwest are nice, and so most people in the Midwest like <laughs> don't try and renegotiate. Whereas New York is full of assholes and like eighty percent of the customer base is calling a threatened quit. I said, I will leave. I will Wait, who's leave. your
2: who's your cable and service provider? They said,
1: Sir, you're free to leave uh oh, wow. Verizon.
2: Uh who's Ben's? charter? Who's in the? I don't don't know. Some some Midwestern sleepy little cable outfit. It's like a
3: mom and pop shop. He says, says,
2: yeah, it's uh, Ben. Very
3: confident in my assertion.
2: (laughs) And I am not happy with my price. And they said. So what do you get?
1: How do do I haggle? You just ask for free shit?
2: Yeah, I called up. I learned this by accident. I called up like five years ago and I'm like, I have like nine boxes in my house. I have a box. I have a cable box in my garage. I'm just like, listen, I don't even know what I'm paying you for or why, but can you just throw in red zone? He's like, I'm not sure about that. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna start canceling some of these boxes. I'll list them. You you shut them off. He's like, ah, wait, wait, <laughs> hang on. We do have uh, a promotion. Uh, we have a promotion. Blah blah blah. <laughs> I'm not paying a less amount, but I do that. Like, Shari does that every year. We just keep. I want getting more you know. I stuff. want
1: free Chipotle for a month. Can they throw no, free got, Chipotle? No,
2: but listen, I'm not even joking. We got like better. We got the better broadband, like the top level. We just call every year and make demands, and like the guy answering the phone doesn't give a shit. Mm. Like, he's just trying to clock out. So, I feel like if you... Maybe you should have Ben call for you. Yeah, that's the plan. What do you think about that? <laughs> have Ben call for everybody. Very confident in my assertions. Shout out to Ben. All right. Uh, so, what are we doing with this chart here? What are we doing with this total broadband customers? This doesn't look like anything's happening with it. Oh, do- it's up and to the right. It's up and to the right. Um.
0: Yeah, they both have about 30 million customers now throughout the U.S. So, they are very significant players. But obviously. So,
2: why... Why? Why? Oh! Wh- because well, here's one thing that people don't understand, though. Hold on. You call up and you go, I don't want any channels. I just want broadband. Uh-huh. And they go, yeah, but it's cheaper to get the broadband if you buy the package with the channels. So that's what's going on. Yeah. They're making you take the channels by underpricing the broadband. Yeah. Because if you're 23 years old, graduate college, get your first apartment in this economy, and you call up <laughs> and you're like, listen, I just want Wi-Fi for my apartment I don't need anything else they're like yeah but take the channels yeah and we'll make it you know we'll, we'll make it le- somehow we'll like make it a better deal for you
0: but so
1: why do these comp- why do these stocks suck are they just are they just killing each other
0: I mean, part of the part of the worries that people have is about competition over time with with fiber, and now fixed wireless is another concern. So I read
1: your piece this. So what's going on? So team, so like the wireless companies are getting into this now.
0: Yeah, T-Mobile is offering fixed wireless, which is basically what's fixed wireless. View it as your home internet product, okay. but it's a, it's a wireless offering. So you could use your computer. Is it as good TV. as
2: cable broadband, or is good enough?
0: Depending where you're at, it's probably good enough. But it if if you listen to someone like AT and T, they say this doesn't have the ability technologically to to keep up with fiber or you
2: know. A re- Real internet that's how you know it time. does though <laughs> well maybe yeah right. <laughs> but can you AT&T's watch K? can you watch 4k video on fixed broadband
0: yeah I don't I'd, you'd have to try it out I guess and it depends, obviously in your rural areas you might not be able to anyway so it could be you know a competitive offering in certain markets where they're going to um, people are concerned whether or not this will be a, a competitor for that 30 million dollar or 30 million uh, you know broadband base that Comcast and Charter both have and I think T-mobile is gonna because of the T-Mobile Sprint merger, They had a lot of excess capacity on their network, basically, and this is one way to use it where, you know, kind of the way they frame it, we're not even really paying for it because we already have this capacity. But at some point, that runs out, and then you do need to pay for the incremental capacity to justify doing this, and a home broadband customer uses so much more data than a mobile customer that the price on a, you know, a unit basis is significantly different, and they'll probably eventually, you know, some version of, like, throttling the home internet customer to to prioritize the wireless people because they pay them so much more money. So mm. I think that's probably where this goes over time. But it is a relevant product for a certain type of customer.
1: So why do you own these? When you say you own these names through Liberty, what does that mean?
0: So Liberty Broadband owns a decent chunk of Charter.
2: Got it. They own a decent chunk of a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I want to go right to Meta with you. Sure. Let's do it. I, I'm like so bearish on this name. <laughs> but I'm willing to have my – I don't have a position in I don't short stocks. Alex is yeah. long. Uh, No, I know. So I would love for you to like maybe change my mind because it is because in the end, it is a stock that's 50% off its off its high. Yeah. So I would love to be wrong and for there to be an opportunity here. Sure. Um, But I want to start off by just uh, sharing something with you that I think probably doesn't matter right now, but I think is very relevant for a long term. you Franklin's. Franklin's provided. (laughs) No, this is pure research. So, you know, it's good. (laughs) Um, this is a survey of U.S. teens, 1,316 U.S. teens between the ages of 13 and 17. I don't know how they get to these people. It must be super (laughs) creepy. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: they probably have to do the poll in the form of a TikTok. Anyway, according to Pew, only 32% of teens say they use Meta's Facebook app. So that's high. I would have thought even lower. Yeah. Um, but that's a decline from 71%. Who said they use the app in a survey they did in 2015? So in seven years, they've lost half of the amount of teens who are willing to admit that they are using um, Facebook. And so there's no
1: competition, but in 2015. So for
2: comparison, YouTube is 95 percent of teens say they use it. Obviously, um, worst for Meta is 67 percent of teens report using TikTok, and I actually bet that number's low. Um, And we know that they have just tried to turn Instagram into TikTok and there was a huge backlash and it's just not really going to happen that way. Uh, They tried to shove all this content down your throat of people you don't follow. Right. And they tried to orient the whole thing toward vertical video and it just, people were grossed out. Anyway, uh, in Q4, Facebook lost daily active users quarter over quarter for the first time in history. Um, Probably tough to turn that ship around. 62% of teens say they use Instagram, which is 5% fewer than say they use TikTok. Um, So they are losing ground in a lot of ways. And then if you look at like the usage, the growth of usage, um, there's a 5% difference between TikTok and Instagram use, which doesn't seem huge. But the survey also said Instagram usage among teens only rose 10% since 2015. Usage of Snapchat rose 41%. Uh, rose from 41% to 59% in that same time. So they're like losing ground to pretty much everybody. Um, that being said, why should I buy the stock?
0: Yeah, I think it's important to frame. I, I think there's definitely truth to that statement. I think it's for U.S. consumers and probably teens most likely. Because that one chart was just showing there. Jonathan the Pack? The U.S. is obviously an important part of their business, particularly in terms of of, right. of the, ARPUs that they the generate. It's not the whole thing, but it's not the whole business. And a big part of this is, you know, thinking.
2: Wait, about, hold on, hold on. So Facebook has 197 million active U.S. users. Yeah, uh, but and this doesn't barely, include in,
0: this doesn't include Instagram. But
2: they have 836 million in Asia, and uh, yeah. 300 million in Europe, and then another 600 where. No hey, wait the minute, place really. world, hey, wait a minute! I don't know, how, many, how, many,
1: how many people <laughs> in the world are connected to the internet?
2: Uh, a lot, I guess.
0: They have like all of them. They have, they have, them. They have
1: two billion daily active users. But you know what Facebook considers an active user? You could be on well, any so website
2: what? if you're logged in via Facebook. They're counting you. Okay. No, not so what. If you're not even using Facebook, but they're counting you as active because you had logged into that site before.
1: Wait, wait. What do you mean?
2: Exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's say you know how there are sites where it's e-commerce, but you could log in through your Facebook account or um, whatever. Oh, okay. So they're like counting you as an active user, but you're not sitting there looking at Facebook. Mm. Um, well,
1: sixty-three right? percent of the no. world yeah, I mean, has I could, if, if
0: there's the thing at the bottom where you can comment or things like that, I would they probably do count that. What's, as da- user. what's
1: this next? What's this daily active people chart? What does that mean? Wait, wait. So wait, I was getting, I was getting
2: convinced on the stock. Go on. <laughs> so it's global. I got so that.
0: That first chart was Facebook and uh, me- uh, Messenger. Or yeah, whatever the service is called, family daily active people includes all of the. Services oh, that so that's on Instagram, and it's deduplicated. Such so a you, huge number. Yeah, so 2.88 billion people globally use one of these services on a daily basis.
1: Which is and
2: again, what, WhatsApp, Instagram, Meta, uh, uh, yeah. uh, Facebook, whatever.
1: The what four, else? I'm Oculus kind of like now. Yeah. Fam- WhatsApp? Did you say WhatsApp? Yeah. Okay. But I mean, you can see
0: from from two years ago, it's up. 400, Yo. it's up 400 million people. How many people are on <laughs> earth? Seven billion? Seven? Yeah, yeah that's so what I'm like saying. So how to many- answer your
2: question, it's like half. <laughs> half the earth is in some way, shape or form, somebody's using one of their apps. Yeah, 2.88 billion people. Very impressive.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we, come t- we sometimes paint these things through a US lens and right. obviously teens and we all see what's happening. And I think, you know, I saw a great chart a couple of years ago that basically asked, or a poll, it asked people, basically, what is Facebook? And the percentages outside the US of people saying that Facebook is the internet, there are countries where it's over 50%. And
2: it's, that's it, where they start. That's like their portal to the internet. Yes. Yeah, so, I understand that.
0: So and again, I, there's there's an ARPU chart as well that shows their monetization and, and how it's grown very significantly over Would time. Would you agree and,
2: that they have probably stretched to the limit of ad load on their feeds? Well, Can they conceivably chart- put more ads on?
0: I mean, it depends if they can build out new formats like they're trying to do with Reels. And you uh, know, what, whether, So what is this? This shows ad impressions and then the price per ad um, just on a quarterly basis. And
1: neither of these are particularly great charts.
0: No, I mean, but look at ad impressions over. I mean, obviously, if people think engagement is imploding, you somehow have to get ad impressions, which means there's engagement, unless you're just stuffing but I think the feed stuffing. with ads. Which they could be. They could be adding more and more and more, but that would eventually hit a breaking point. Why is the price per ad plunging? Uh, because they're introducing new formats and they have to basically prove out like okay. reels and things like that. They have to prove out to advertisers. So they have to sell to it to work. an
2: advertiser for less until the advertiser actually to, sees it work.
0: And if nobody's bidding for it, then the price is What's just your impression be low. of
2: how reels is going so far?
0: I think it's gone reasonably well, but to your point there has been some backlash and they have, you know, to some extent just forced it on people and I think they'll they'll continue to do that to some extent because until they, people stop complaining. They think this is the future and they yeah. they really are investing heavily into this AI generated content or, you know, AI selected content essentially being part of your feed. So they
2: just did it too fast. They Probably. didn't give you a chance to like warm up to it. Yeah. I don't actually mind them suggesting things into my feed because I hate my friends anyway.
1: Yeah. So
2: it's f- <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, I they hate have to do it well. I hate the strangers, but I hate my friends. So you could put whatever you want there, I think is what I'm let's, saying.
1: John, let's look at the financials. So Alex, you wrote in Q2 – Meta's family of app revenues declined 1%. It was up 3% in constant currencies, obviously the stronger dollar hurt. You said that this result was primarily attributable to a 5% decline in average revenue per person across a family of apps, which was offset by a 4% year-over-year increase in daily active people across the apps. What was really interesting to me is revenues are down like a lot. Uh, they were $33.6 billion in Q4, and they were $28.2 billion in Q2. And I imagine that's not like a seasonality thing. It's just they, they're, they haven't, they're not growing.
0: There is some seasonality from just these shops that are using okay, Facebook so, ads yeah, okay. in order to sell stuff during the holidays. Right. But, but, yeah, I mean, you can see year over year. It's but basically flat. So, yeah, yeah,
1: year over year it's down.
0: This is for a business that had you know, consistently reported 20 30 40% revenue growth. So I'm, it's a huge change in trend. This um, next table
1: shows it. Let's see. Uh, okay, so Alex broke out the quarterly revenue gro- growth over the last four quarters between yeah. Meta, YouTube, Roku, Snap, and Twitter. And forget Twitter because that's just a bag of shit. <laughs> YouTube's so up five. YouTube five percent. Roku eighteen percent. Snap thirteen percent. This is in the most recent quarter. And Meta negative one.
0: Yeah, but look at the deceleration on some of these other names. The point was simply to show this is not just a Meta issue. Oh, there, there right. Okay. Snap.
2: Fine. Snap has gone from thirty-eight percent growth. To thirteen percent right. growth, which so they're, is all, they're all slowing. A bigger yeah. drop off than Meta going from seven to minus one.
0: Nobody says YouTube has a user or, mo- or an engagement problem, but you can see obviously they've been impacted by the macro and IDF IDFA stuff just alongside.
1: So, Meta so Meta as well. you wrote that in the second quarter they reported a twenty two percent increase in expenses on a one percent decline <laughs> in revenues. Uh oh, that's a problem. This mismatch has been on display for some time, which explains why corporate EBIT margins declined by a thousand basis points. This was a manageable situation for Meta when revenues were growing by 31% a year, but when revenue growth meaningfully slows, that becomes a major problem. So let right. me ask you this. A lot of this, this bottom line stuff is due to what they're doing with the Meta stuff. If they nest tomorrow, hey, you know what? We're bailing. Just, just kidding. We're going no to kill that. Would the stock be up
0: 20%? I think it would probably go up, but I don't I, I, don't, I don't think it addresses the problem that most people have, which is the, the core business. Do people actually believe that it has a future? Okay,
2: why did Sheryl Sandberg leave?
0: I think it was just the
2: end of her run. I don't think there was more on. to it than that. There Why was it the end of her run? I mean, all right, you want to play games? She was games? just there for a while. Why was it the end of her run?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's been some reporting that other
2: things were going on, but... Uh, well, I, they went after her for her wedding expenses. That yeah. seems like a cover. Uh, yeah. Well, she was trying to get some things uh, uh, covered good over for with her. some reporting. She <laughs> should. She should. This is, this is a woman that probably works 20 hours a day. Sure. I think they should pay for her wedding. Yeah. Um, all right, but she left, and she's really, like, the person. Yeah, she was important like very sure. very important. Yeah. Did, didn't she like single-handedly build the business of Facebook? She was very prominently involved. For so sure. like if you are if you're like trying to be bullish on it or you're invested in it, like is she even replaceable? And if so, like is there somebody that's going to have his respect and his ear and be able to like talk him out of some of the like clearly insane shit that he wants to do? Like is there anybody that powerful that's going to come along and fill that role that she's uh, left.
0: I think it's partly shareholders, honestly, and other outside forces. Okay, so let me
2: stop you. They have no votes.
0: Yeah, but again, look what he did in Q1 where he – they literally came out and said we're not just going to – and again, it's starting from a very big base, so point taken. But they're saying we're not going to just grow the losses in FRL – in perpetuity. The only way we'll do it is if there's growth on the FOA side. So he's not to listening. Right,
2: I get that. Income. So he's not listening to what shareholders are saying. He's looking at what shareholders are doing Potentially, and they're, yes. And they're selling.
1: Yes. And so okay. w- so what is the bull case at this point? Is it just is it just valuation? Not just, I mean, that's obviously a compelling case, but is that it? I mean, the bull case is that the core business is actually
0: sustainable over time and that the FRL stuff will have some value. If they if they just, I mean, it's at 10 now. If they run that up to 15, 20 billion.
1: Expenses. And you go, yeah, a year. Yeah.
0: You go five, ten years, and you just burn $100 billion, $200 billion, and you get nothing out of it. It makes it very difficult for this to be a good investment.
2: Okay. What if – what if, instead of ditching the metaverse, uh-huh. an immediate catalyst that I think would add 20% to the stock in one day, spinning off Instagram. Don't, yeah. you, think, don't you think everybody wants this?
0: I mean, again, it depends. It seems a lot of people are concerned about what Instagram's future looks like and and how valuable that part of the business. They should is. have so done it. They should
2: have done it a year ago. It probably would have got a higher valuation a year ago. Both pieces, it <laughs> would have worked out. I think for both pieces.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it's funny to put this all in context. At the end of the day, the overall business, the revenue base, is like one percent below where it's. Yeah. I mean, this is still a hundred and twenty billion dollar a year business, which is kind of crazy to it's think. A monster. About. Yeah. And it makes, you know, again, the the FOA business, the core business makes over $50 billion a year, which is in, in profit, in operating profit. You know what would be funny,
2: actually? <laughs> you know how they could drop the stock 20% in one day? Hmm. We're getting into sh- uh, streaming video. <laughs> there you go. I <laughs> yeah. mean,
1: they're, they're they're being pretty aggressive with share buybacks. So yeah. they had 2.9 billion shares outstanding uh, towards the end of 2018. It's now down to 268 yeah. So a fairly material decrease. And they just authorized, I think, a 50, 40 or $50 billion share repurchase program. Yeah. But is that offsetting all the stock-based comp that they have to do? Yes.
2: That's definitely part of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, and again, they're, they're at a position now where the core business, the profitability is coming in, partly just from that mismatch between revenues and expenses we were talking about, but also the huge investments they're making in AI and ML and stuff like that to, to really evolve what the platforms are. Then you add on the, the FRL losses as well. You know, this company generates a lot lot of cash, but that can change fairly quickly. So (laughs)
2: Alphabet did something very smart years ago that I think would work at Meta, where they brought in a CFO away from Silicon Valley. They brought in Ruth Porat from Mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley. Yeah. And she's not, you know, a dreamer. She's just like a get shit done CFO from Wall Street, from the East Coast, who brought in discipline. And then simultaneously they took a lot of these moonshot investments they were making and they put them in a garage somewhere Mm -hmm. and they called that segment of the business other bets. Yeah. And now when they report, they're reporting segment level, they're giving you YouTube and here's what's going on with office and here's right. Yeah. And then other bets and they've like conditioned wall street to like disregard everything they hear Mm -hmm. about other bets. As long as like the expense level of that Mm -hmm. stays reasonable. Right. Which I think is Ruth's job to communicate. Like, Right. We have to invest in these bets. And we know they're doing like um, quantum computing and self-driving cars and rocketry and all kinds of shit. And nobody expects anything from that unit. Zuckerberg went the other way. Right. Not only did he not carve this out into other bets, he changed the name of the whole company <laughs> right. to this. Like, I feel like that's a really interesting case study mm. uh, between those two approaches. Yeah. So Alphabet is getting away with literally burning money. Mm -hmm. And Zuckerberg has this massive business he's getting no credit for because he's burning probably an equivalent amount so what Alphabet is, yeah. maybe it's a little bit more. I don't really know the number. If you but. had to
1: give a percentage of the decline being responsible for the core business slowing and or the other shit that they're doing, is that 70-30, 80-20? Where do you think? Where wow, do that's you a ha- good
0: question. Since, since they first kind of broke it out, which yeah, like was Q3 How, how last much, year, How much is
1: the metaverse weighing on it versus the core business slowing down? I think the
0: recent pressure is definitely been more of just the core business and you know broader advertising pressure everywhere. But I think them starting to go through this period, a lot of it was – again, people thought the number – the number I'd heard before they actually disclosed it was two three, maybe five billion a year and they came out and said it lost more than ten billion dollars in twenty one it's crazy so it was a it was a massive number and again
2: at the start there was no guardrails they also on did this at this the top going. they did yeah. this at the they also did not that they have any control over that but they did this meta thing literally at the apex of a ten year tech bull market yeah where any, anything goes one right. second and then the next day everybody's like cash flow yeah and it's like
0: Yeah, the reasonable reasonable middle ground for them here that works and probably works for shareholders as well as for them to come out and say, we've been clear from day one that this is a 10 plus year, for this to be a real business is 10 years down the road. We have to recognize the reality of what's happening with the core business right now, even if it's just macro, and we're going to pull in some of the spend to kind of live to that financial framework that we laid out, which is overall operating income growth for the company.
2: So if so, you think that weakness in the core advertising business is primarily the reason for the stock price being depressed, then do you also have to believe that that will get better in order to stay bullish?
0: Yeah. I mean, certain, you need the secular eventually, ad. Eventually, yeah.
2: You need like the, the overall ad spending environment to improve. Yeah. That could be- It could be a while. I, don't, I mean, who who knows? But Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: I, for them specifically too, they have to kind of reprove- some of the, the what made the business so strong. So it's not like them pulling started. a
2: rabbit out of a hat. They just the, – the, the environment has to improve, yeah. and then this stock has room to move. Up. I mean, I yeah. do believe it's cheap stock. Yeah. So what's the valuation now? Seventeen.
0: I mean, it depends how you think about what they're going to earn, but they they could earn forty billion dollars in operating income, something like that. I don't know what the market cap is. So today, it's like, what's market cap? Five hundred. It's got somewhere around there. They mean, have, it's not bad. They have so fifty that's a, in cash. So yeah. that's a
2: that's a very it's value stock. a very very cheap stock in yeah. a sector that's not known for having cheap stocks. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm bullish. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not rooting against you though. I don't care either way. All right, uh, we're you gonna. Put, you we'll, put this in here, right? I could be wrong, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: this, this made me literally laugh. The worst out- advice me, ever. This made me laugh out loud.
2: Before we get to our last topic, I want to ask you: Having fun?
1: Yeah, like good. doing the show.
2: Yes, yeah, fun. All right. Uh, so I want to ask. I want to just throw this out to you guys. This was a Wall. Uh, was a Wall Street Journal? Yeah. Holy shit. This guy's a professor. All right. This is a Wall Street Journal article where they ask 20 experts for what they could do to a 60-40 portfolio or whatever. All right, here Stocks are down. Inflation is high. And recession may be 20 looming.
1: ideas for adjusting your stock and bond portfolio. 20
2: ideas for adjusting your stock and bond portfolio. They didn't say wow. good
1: ideas. They didn't say good ideas. Some
2: you – no, know, just ideas. <laughs> <laughs> some of these were – some of these were okay. And I actually have some friends who have been quoted in this. So – uh you know who's in this? What's his name from St. Louis that I like? Uh, Peter? Peter. He's in this. Peter Lazaroff. Uh, there's some, all right, this is the worst shit I ever heard. <laughs> well, wait. Maybe maybe it's not, and I have it wrong. I wanted to ask you guys. I'm just going to read this, okay? Yeah, go. Go, all go right. it. Most working-age people's biggest economic asset is not their already accumulated savings, but their future wages. Wage growth has low correlation with stock returns, so future wages represent a huge implicit fixed income holding. That means most people should hold close to 100% of the money they don't need to cover regular monthly expenses in stocks. I'm sort of okay with that for young <laughs> Just, people, but that's not even the part that I have a problem with. <laughs> He's basically saying, look, no, at, yeah, okay. look at your salary like a bond. So then your portfolio should be stocks. All right, fine. Wait, it gets worse. <laughs> A wrinkle to the above advice is that when stock market volatility is extremely high, as it has been, really extremely high, okay, Uh, it can make sense to temporarily scale back one-stock positions. Time out. (laughs) (laughs) That's because the market's average return doesn't increase when volatility is high. So the market is a relatively bad deal during those
1: times. I mean, that's true. Oh, in Lord. the short term, in the short term, that's true. Like in true. hourly terms, that's that true be true.
2: The next part, this is the coup de grace. This is too much for me almost. Yeah. Um, this is a professor at Yale. Just so everyone <laughs> to- and,
1: and I literally laughed to myself when I read this. Okay.
2: When the VIX, the market's forecast of the S&P 500 volatility over the next month, rises above 30, start thinking about modestly reducing my stock exposure— In the early summer, I scaled back my stock positions by five percentage points. When the VIX hit its all-time high of 83 in March 2020, I reduced my stock holdings by 80 percentage points. (laughs) But but, (laughs) Why is this guy saying, in the Wall Street Journal, I sold at the bottom? Why is this guy confessing to (laughs) finance crimes? But be aware that high volatility episodes are usually short-lived. So if you do sell stocks in response to a volatility spike, you need to be attentive and ready to come back into the market quickly as soon as volatility has calmed down.
1: This guy's basically like panic. He has to be and fired. Then pa- and then panic again. He has, to be
2: fi- he has to be fired from the school
0: immediately. 100% equities and then go to 80%. Cash.
2: Dude, hold on. When the VIX went up, he dropped his stock holdings by 80 percentage points. Yeah. And then when the market calmed down, he bought it back. What are we yeah. doing here? We he, got to see his returns. No, you sell low, you buy high. Hello. We got to see his returns. He
3: definitely has tenure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but why would you why would you put this in writing and then ask somebody at the Wall Street Journal to publish it? Yeah, I don't know what he's trying to get at.
1: Um there's, there's, <laughs> there's a, oh, I was just saying there's there's a, a non-zero percent chance that he's joking. He's trolling, but, but it worked. But he but he's probably not kidding. Unless he's totally kidding. Is he what kind of professor? <laughs> professor <laughs> Professor of finance?
2: Get the f out of here. <laughs> All right. Maybe there's more to it, and they edited it out. Also, there's
1: a two percent chance he's kidding, just totally kidding. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I hope that, that's the most logical answer. All right, right?
2: <laughs> favorites. No more, no more character assassination. Jeez. That's not nice. I've written. I've probably written stupider things. Uh, I'm gonna go first. Roger Lowenstein is a badass. You know who he is? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, uh, Bro, he, wrote,
1: he wrote a Buffett book, yeah, amongst other great things. Some he's, would say the Buffett. I mean, he's written Buffett like books twenty back. books. Which one? Uh, I think it's
0: called Buffett. Some people say it's the best oh. one. Some people get pissed when you say it's the best Why? one because of the, the snowball? snowball. The
1: snowball is such a more well the the, the Lowenstein one. Lowenstein one is Buffett for people that aren't psychos, like finance yeah. psychos. Yes, like Snowball is great, but it's like six hundred pages. Yeah, and the the
0: Lowenstein one's like a business book. The the Alice Schroeder one's it's like personal. a much more personal yeah. book. I,
2: yeah. right. so Lowenstein has a Substack that I don't think most people know he's doing this. Yeah. It's called Intrinsic Value. It's way better than Alex Morris' sub That <laughs> uh, No, it's like free. It, it doesn't look like he's like looking for paid subs or anything. I just feel like he wanted a place to put his thoughts. Yeah. And I think it started during the pandemic. Yeah, I follow his. And uh, you, you read it? Yeah. It's great. Anyway, he's got a really great piece up um, from August 10th, so just published, called Policy and Trade-Offs. And basically what he's laying out is – the fact that we have a perfectly botched trade-off in the form of allowing private equity to keep its carried interest loophole, which makes absolutely no sense when you think about where that money comes from, but taxing buybacks as though they're somehow like a cause of some sort of problem or that by taxing it, we're going to reduce inflation somehow. Of course, all of that is nonsense. Yeah. Um, but I I thought that this was a really good piece And the gist of what he's saying is that the carried interest uh, loophole that's being preserved is not about PE funds taking risk or private equity investors taking risk. Nobody has any problem with that. What he's saying is that the so-called carried interest is coming from the profits that have been earned by the investors on their investors' own capital. So it's not coming out of any risk that anyone's taking. It's fees being paid to the firm, and then the firm is getting preferential tax treatment on those fees. That's the part that makes it ludicrous. Mm. So I mm. thought it was a really it was a really good explainer, and basically what he's saying is – I'll quote him, and then we're done with this. There is no justification for this break. I will not invest less money in a fund managed by KKR or Blackstone on account of the tax – that is later imposed on the fee that KKR or Blackstone charges me. After I pay my fee, I couldn't care less what happens to it. The tax break does not create an incentive. Exactly. So private equity would probably still be investing other people's money if they had a higher tax rate. And none of this does anything for the end user at all. So anyway, I thought, I thought it was a really good take. Um, we won't get into the buyback stuff, but he is against the buyback tax for the same reason that I am. Um, what it's, do you got
0: the talk around buybacks is fascinating, especially in politics. It's a lit- comment te- it's and, a litmus and- test of who
2: you of, of like who you hate more right Do you hate corporate America and the investor class more or less that right? I've, yeah,
0: I've, I mean, just so much of the commentary on it just isn't even logical. But I mean, when it comes from politicians, we're gonna, it we're, makes it sound like something that is—it's—it's it's fairly straightforward what it actually is in terms of what the company's doing with it. Fun, do you think they'll funds, stop? But, do you
2: think they'll stop at one percent excise tax on buybacks? It's got to go sure up. If right? Sure, they start
0: going; they'll probably go higher over time. It's got to go higher. Yeah, because it's probably
2: it's another lever they can pull. Yeah, um, where it's almost victimless from in their yeah. eyes.
0: I mean, I can't remember who said it. Someone said, "I hate buybacks." Some. Politician, I hate buybacks. Elizabeth That's Warren, such
2: probably such an odd thing to say.
0: Well, I
1: hate dividends. <laughs> fat <Right>. cats. These
0: <laughs>
2: just fat,
1: very odd things. These to say fat cats. To me.
2: Uh, all right, what do you got favorites, Michael? <laughs> uh,
1: Brawl in Cell Block 99.
2: What is
3: that? If you know, you know.
2: I don't what know. Right, <laughs> Duncan.
3: Yeah, <laughs> doesn't look like my kind of movie.
2: Okay, <laughs> this is a movie. That's a movie. Okay, what's it called? Just,
1: just Google it.
2: <laughs> How many Academy Awards is this up for? Well, let me just tell you, it, it made seventy thousand dollars at the box office. Wow. In two thousand seventeen. <laughs> is this a, is this a real movie? Where do you watch? Where do you watch something like this? Amazon Prime, oh, of course.
1: Um, but my know. real favorite thing this week, uh, uh, Industry is back. I, I, I enjoy that show. Industry is about I never saw it. First year in investment bankers in London, oh. and uh, I enjoy it. It's good. HBO Max. Hmm. You never yeah. saw it either. What's that? You ever watch this? Anybody?
2: Let me say that's a movie. What is this shit?
1: <laughs> oh, it's like it's like so bad it's good. No, it's uh, is that uh, Michael Caine. Uh, no, it's the girl from Dexter. It's Vince Vaughn. It's a girl from Dexter. It's unironically good. Wait, is that Michael Caine? No, it's, it's, it's a- uh, Oh, Terrence Stamp. But, but that's Don Johnson, that's who <laughs> that is. That's the old British guy is
2: Stamp. That's the guy that takes all the roles that Michael Caine is too busy for? No, <laughs> no, no, it's this guy.
1: Oh, it's the guy from Game of Thrones. It's this guy, you've seen him before. His name is Udu Kier. He's like the weirdo in all these like gross movies. He's, he's the Sparrow, High Sparrow. Oh uh, yeah? In, right? Yeah, and
0: Tomorrow Never Dies.
1: He, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He's the he's the high sparrow in Game of Thrones. Okay, I'm in. I'll watch it. It's oh, grisly. What else do I have? What else do I have going on in my life?
1: Alex, oh, so, so What are you getting up to?
2: Yeah, give us your give us your favorite thing right now. What did you watch on the uh, flight? It's gonna be hard to top Michael's, but try. I
0: listen to a lot of podcasts on the flight. I've been watching Stranger Things. Finally catching up, and it's, it's good. I can see how it, it can get a wide audience, I guess. It's not It's not really. You're a Stranger Things guy, right? It's not in my wheelhouse, yeah, I, but I, I can watch it. Watch it.
3: I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was better than the third season or the previous season. I
2: like that they are using it to bring back like uh, Kate Bush songs from the 80s. Yeah, they That's helped kinda, her a lot. It's kind of right? dope. I like that. Uh, what podcast do you listen to? Obviously, The Compound and Friends. What else? The Compound,
0: uh, my good buddy, Bill Brewster, Business Brew. I listen to that one a lot. What is it
2: called? Business Brew? The business Brew. Okay. Yeah. Who does he, what does he do? Uh,
0: he just interviews- uh, you know, he had a he interviews fund managers and okay. you know tons of different kinds of people. Okay, um, I listen to a, a bunch of random podcasts now that I just find through Spotify. I was listening to something on Fix Wireless on the way up here. Apparently, same fiber industry has a podcast. No, I, I mean, everybody has a podcast. Uh, he
1: listens to <laughs> Alex listens to Tim Dillon with us. Tim Dillon. Oh yes, I it's love the best Tim pod, Dillon.
0: Honestly, he is he is getting better. This is such
2: being on a podcast that he's
0: been on is like one of my greatest yeah I I, I I should i should have so i should have
2: thrown this on as a favorite but he just had curtis curtis yorvin on the, yeah did you listen to that I, I, who was i, I listened to part of it shit. i don't who is that guy he's like I, they talk about doing acid but he's like um a blogger huh. who like rose to prominence because he's like pro monarchy Huh. And he like does these historical deep dives on why America basically should just admit that it's always been a monarchy and like do it for real and mm. just have like another FDR or JFK type president come in and just start acting like a king again. Mm-hmm. And he's – it's like deeper than that. I'm not I'm – huh. I, I can't am I do it justice but it's an hour and a half of Tim Dillon and Tim Dillon doesn't get a word in because <laughs> this guy just goes and this guy mm-hmm. is like – dropping shit from like ancient Rome and it's just, it's really very entertaining. Uh, all right. I'm with you on, uh, I'm with you on Tim Dillon. We wanted to make one announcement about, um, the merch store, com.
3: What were we supposed to say? So we're asking people to, to tag us on social media, um, wearing their merch. Oh yeah.
2: Nicole gets really excited. If you are rocking the compound merch, if you have the hat or the shirt or whatever, and you tag us on Instagram, on Twitter, whatever, Nicole gets fired up. What are we gonna do for the people that do that? We'll come up with something. Share it. No, I was thinking thinking like a bed and breakfast with Duncan, like a weekend getaway.
3: Sure,
2: (laughs) we'll reshare you. We'll reshare you if you shout us out. So make sure you go ahead and do that. It's IDonShop.com.
1: It's IDonShop.com. If you liked Alex's uh, talking, you'll like his writing even better. Mm. Yeah, much better
2: writer than talker.
0: Drop your
1: (laughs) drop your email into our link. Links in the show notes, YouTube, everywhere, everywhere.
3: We we also have a review. Oh, read. let's do the review. So uh, today's is from Cool Philly Mommy, and uh, I like the, the title is High Octane. The knowledge I have gained from this dynamic duo, Josh and Michael, is remarkable. The well-chosen guests add to each week's unique experience. I feel as if I've gained a coach in my pocket to keep me grounded during this challenging market. I so can't wait to rock, to rock my workout with each new episode. Would love to take you to a dinner at one of our city's coolest restaurants with unmatched sky-high views. Keep crushing it.
2: Is that oh from Philly, from Philadelphia? I guess that's, a, that's a nice
1: review, but like uh, it's funnier when you read the bad ones. They have this. <laughs> they have, yeah, it's true.
2: They have this restaurant tour that do, who dominates Philly. This guy Stephen Starr. Uh, I think Budokan started in Philadelphia. They have like some like it's not just cheesesteaks. They have, like, cuisine in – oh, Sprinkles is calling me. All right, let's wrap it up from here. I want to say thank you to everybody. Uh, Thanks for your patience while we took two weeks off. It was much needed. Duncan went to London. I went to Italy. Michael went to Parsifany. And uh, we kind of all just need a little bit of a break. But we're back. Big show coming up next week. All big shows coming up, actually, this whole fall. We are going to mow you down with talented people like Alex Morris. So stick around, and we will see you next time. Well done. Is Is that fun? That was good. All right. What are you doing next Thursday?